He's the forgotten man of Christmas. Uh, in fact, uh, as you open your New Testaments, he, he's, he's quiet. He, he's silent. In fact, he, he doesn't say a word. Early uh, church fathers and, and theologians um, w- didn't want to put too much emphasis on him uh, because they wanted to lift up and glorify Mary and Mary's role that she played uh, in the birthing of the Messiah in, into this world. And so he's kind of the forgotten man of the Christmas story. Uh, and as you, as you even read about him, he doesn't even really speak for himself or have a voice uh, for himself. He's kind of like, you know, when, when, a, when you're at the movies and, and it comes to the end and the credits are rolling and, and you, you sit there and you watch all the credits and down towards the end is, is a key grip. You know, what's a key grip anyway, right? Uh, and, and so this, this person that we're going to talk about, this forgotten man of Christmas, kind of like that, just kind of, kind of an afterthought in, in the Christmas story, but he shouldn't be. He may be silent, but what he does, what he does speaks so, speaks so loudly. Uh, it was Emerson who said, what you do speaks so loudly that I cannot hear what you're saying. And that statement is no more true than in the life of this forgotten man of Christmas. This stepfather of the Son of God. This man that we know as Joseph. He is remarkably simple in his obedience, but he is simply remarkable in what he does and what he's willing to do by hanging everything on an immediate obedience, on one word from God that you have to admit, as you read his story, as we're going to do in just a little bit, seems absurd on the surface. Like, who's going to believe this? We ought to also have some sympathy for this forgotten man of Christmas, for Joseph. Because he was betrothed or, or engaged to Mary, who suddenly and strangely turns up pregnant. Now, in Jewish culture, maybe you know this, but a girl at about age 12 or 13, her parents would sign uh, kind of a consent form to be married to a man. It was a legal document, and even at that point, when that document was signed, it was binding. It was a legal document. It was a covenant between those two people. Even though... The betrothed, or, or Mary, the young girl, uh, would continue to live with her parents for up to a year. And then the, the husband-to-be, the groom, would then go and get the, his bride, and they would have a fantastic Jewish, uh, an elaborate Jewish uh, wedding ceremony. Uh, but in Joseph's experience... Between steps one and two, Mary becomes pregnant. He couldn't deny it, and she couldn't hide it. What should he do? What would he do? One of the questions asked by early church fathers and theologians is is this. Did Joseph think, or did Joseph believe, that Mary had somehow succumbed to sin? Had she sinned? 
Justin Martyr in 170 AD said absolutely yes. Joseph would have believed that, that Mary had, had fallen into sin. Uh, as did Chrysostom and even the great Saint Augustine of Hippo. However, Jerome, an early church father in just the second century, he said this, and I, I love this perspective of the Christmas story. He said this, Joseph knew Mary's holiness and that it hid in silence a mystery that he did not understand. Isn't that beautiful? That he knew Mary. Mary wasn't a stranger to him. And, and he knew Mary's character and who she was as a person. And even though some would say, and even maybe you and I, as we sit here thousands of years later, surely, you know, in that situation, surely Joseph believed that, man, she had blown it. That somehow she had been unfaithful. That infidelity had, had taken her over. But somehow, this was a mystery that, that Joseph couldn't fully understand. Now, if you have your Bibles, I know there are some Bibles on your chairs. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 18. We're going to kind of follow Joseph's story. Also, you were given uh, a little handout today. If you'd like to fill in the blanks, and I think the the story is also uh, printed on um, that little handout, and it will also be up on the screens, although the format... Uh, that I put it in is like, you, be, you have to have really good eyesight to see uh, the, the wording up on the screens. Let's read Joseph's story, the forgotten man of Christmas. Let's read his story. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, you need to know that a a man in his position, a a Jewish man in his position, only had a couple of different options in this case, in this situation. He could take a hard-line stand. In fact, the law of Moses, the the Jewish law, said that it was his right that if he so chose, that he could publicly humiliate Mary. He could drag her out into the public square and have her stoned to death. That was his legal right under the law of Moses, under the Jewish law. So there's one option, pretty extreme, this woman that he was about to uh, uh, commit the rest of his life to, who, who, who turns up pregnant, he, he could have her publicly humiliated and, and killed. Or he could take a, a, a second option. He could take a couple of his friends. He could go to the house of Mary and go to the parents and take the contract, take this covenant that they had made several months up to a year earlier, and and just tore it up. And say, I'm not following through. Mary's been unfaithful. And 
for, for everything that we can see early on, that was probably the way that Joseph was going to do it. He was not going to publicly humiliate Mary. He certainly wasn't going to have uh, persons gather around and have her stoned to death. He decided in his heart, because of this mystery that he could not quite understand, because he, he knew Mary's character, he knew her holiness, he decided, as we just read, that, that he would just dismiss her quietly. But then suddenly, he has this earth-shattering, intrusive dream from God. Listen to this, beginning with verse 20, if you're following along. Joseph, son of David, angel speaking here, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now consider for just a moment what God is asking of Joseph. Joseph, who uh, is a carpenter, he was the son of a carpenter, and the family business had probably been around for quite some time in this little podunk town of Nazareth. It takes a long time to build up the trust and faith and the goodwill in the business community of a small town like that. And now he would be subjected to the gossip and the ridicule and the slander that would characterize any little town like Nazareth. It, it would certainly cost him some business. There would be some people that would just say, I, I, I can't believe this. I can't believe what Joseph has done. And, and now they're not even really in good standing with the synagogue. I'm going to take my business down the street. Oh, Joseph had to be thinking about these things as he considers what God is asking him to do. But listen to how he responds. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Now there's some things that I, I think that Joseph can teach us in, in this story that we read. This, uh, Even though he's, he's silent, uh, his story speaks loudly to us. And the first thing is this. Joseph shows us that we can obey God even in the midst of difficult and confusing circumstances. Difficult and confusing circumstances. We can continue to trust and obey in God. Now, all of us, all of us probably in this room have encountered difficult circumstances. Am I correct? I mean, if you've lived long enough, you've encountered difficulty. Now, maybe there's a few small children that have never encountered difficulty, but most of us in this room, we know what it is to encounter difficult situations when you don't feel like moving forward, when you don't feel like continuing on. Joseph teaches us that in difficult circumstances, we can continue to obey God and to trust God even in those difficult circumstances. Certainly, we've encountered confusing circumstances, right? I mean, which direction should we go? What's next, Lord? Where does the path take my life now, Lord? Difficult and confusing circumstances. Joseph teaches us that we can continue to obey God even in those moments. Once while I was a college student, 
Um, and you know, when you're in college, you're 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 wanting to discover what you know your life path should be. You know, you want to discover what God's will is for your life. And I remember a. Uh, going to my pastor at the time, we were living in, in Portland, Oregon, and, and uh, his name was Gerald Marvel. And uh, I, I went up to Gerald and I said, Gerald, I was coming to the end of, of my college career and, and, and wondering which direction I should go. And, and uh, I, I asked him, Pastor Gerald, how can you know God's will for your life? Is it when all the signs are clear and the way is sure. Yeah, I had kind of grown up with this concept of when, when God is leading you and directing you, like, like all the signs will be clear uh, and, and you'll just be sure that this is the way to go. And Gerald Marvel laughed at me. Uh, he, he, he chuckled and uh, he said, Jeff, if you wait till all the signs are clear and the path seems sure, you will be waiting forever. Instead, I'll never forget this, even though it's over 30 years ago now. I'll never forget. He said, Jeff, what you need to do is you need to look at a closed door, jiggle the handle, and push it to see if it'll open for you. Don't stand there and wait for the door to magically open for you. Test it. See if the door opens for you. And if it opens, then you walk through it confidently. You obey him. If it slams shut in your face, then you know that's not the direction for you to go. See, I think it's a spiritual urban myth to say that the center of God's will is the safest and easiest place to be. We often say that, don't we? Oh, the center of God's will is the safest place to be. Now, it may be the best place to be, but seldom have I found it the safest and the easiest place to be when you're at the center of God's will. Let me just look at some of the uh, biblical heroes that we read about. Would we say to Peter, you know, hey, the center of God's will is the safest and easiest place to be? (laughs) No. Many of the followers of Jesus gave their very lives because they knew that they were at the center of God's will and it cost them everything. It cost them their very lives. So Joseph, he faced public humiliation, possibly loss of income, friends, status in the community, synagogue, but he, but he obeyed anyway. What are you facing this morning that seems so difficult? God, I don't know if I can press through this. It's too difficult for me to handle or to face, continue to obey God. Or maybe you're facing something that doesn't make sense. It's so confusing. How can I know which way to go? Joseph teaches us that we can continue to obey God. The message wasn't, do not be too proud, Joseph. Do not be too angry, too disgusted, too embarrassed. The message was, Stop being afraid of obedience. How many times in my life have I just been too afraid to obey, to walk forward, to keep moving in the direction that God is calling? To keep pushing those doors open. When the angel says to Joseph in that dream, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. 
He's saying, do not be afraid of obedience. Now, if you think about it, and if you think about some of the characters in the Christmas story, most of them, at least for a moment, even Mary herself, questioned God. You know, they, they said, who am I? You know, God, not me. Um, I'm not the one to do this. One character uh, in the Christmas story even was struck dumb. He couldn't talk because he doubted God. But not Joseph. His story tells us that he wakes up from the dream and he takes Mary as his wife. No hesitation. He walks straight and confidently into what he knew at that moment, in that time, God had called him to do. Even though it seemed difficult, he was going to face such difficulty. And even though it seemed so confusing, just because an angel shows up doesn't mean it answered all the questions for Joseph. No way. Our encounters with God, have you noticed this, can sometimes leave us not to worship or into this awe experience, but it leaves us scared spitless, right? You see it again and again in Scripture. I, I love the story in Luke chapter 5. Uh, it says that uh, Peter and the disciples uh, were out fishing and they weren't catching anything. And uh, someone suggests that they, they throw their nets on uh, the other side of the boat and they catch this miraculous catch of fish. Now you would think in that moment that Peter and the rest of the disciples would go, yeah, we're going to be rich. We're going to sell all these fish. But that's not their reaction. It says that in that moment, Peter says, depart from me, because I'm a sinful man. Uh, There's this fear factor when they're pulling up the nets with all of this fish. And that's often our response when we encounter God, right? I mean, sometimes there's worship, sometimes there's awe, but a lot of times there's just fear. We're just, we're just scared. When God draws close and invades our space, it can create a sense of fear. I bet Joseph would have rather have gone right back to the carpenter shop and gotten right back to work than to be the stepfather to the Son of God. It's always easier, isn't it, to go back to what's comfortable and safe and cozy and predictable than it is to obey in a radical way. So secondly, not only does Joseph teach us that we can continue to obey God when the way is difficult and confusing, but also Joseph shows us that we can obey God even in the midst of our biggest fear. Even in the midst of our biggest fear. What's your biggest fear this morning? What what fear keeps you from walking confidently into the future? that you know God has for you. I was reading recently about a young man named Rick Sacra. Rick Sacra, uh, just a couple of months ago, uh, he contracted uh, the Ebola virus while working with the destitute and the poor in Liberia. Uh, He was a doctor. He was delivering babies in Liberia, and he contracted the Ebola virus. He came home, maybe you remember his story, he's one of those that that they flew home, uh, and he is now um, cured, Uh, he's he's back home with his family, and I read this story about Rick Sacra, and how he can't wait to go back to Liberia 
to work, to continue his, his work and his ministry, his mission with the people of Liberia, and to continue helping them tackle this devastating, life-threatening disease. Wouldn't it be so much easier just to stay home now in the good old United States? Of course, after I shared this story with, with a group uh, not too long ago, they said, well, you know, uh, he's immune to the virus now, right? <laughs> and he is, which is fantastic. But still, wouldn't it just be so, so much easier just to stay home? Not for Rick Sacra and, and his mission and his ministry and his calling in life. He can't wait to get back to Liberia to continue serving those folks, those people. Don't miss God's dream just because you're a scary cat. Joseph teaches us that we can continue to obey even when we're afraid. In 1847, Placidy Capot was asked to pen a poem by his small town's parish priest. Now, Placidy was known more for his winery and his wine than he was uh, for his church attendance. But he was honored to be asked. So he used the Gospel of Luke, which he hadn't read a whole lot, and he penned the words to what we now know as Cantique de Noel, or O Holy Night. It's probably my favorite Christmas carol of all. Uh, There's a line in it that says, Till he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. I can, I can hardly get those words out when I'm singing the words to that song. Till he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. Well, he realized, and the parish priest realized, this was much more than a poem, that this was meant to be sung. This song was meant to be sung. And Placidy was no musician, and so he contacted the famous composer, Adolphe Adam, to put the words to music. Now, Adam was of Jewish ancestry, so he didn't even really believe the words to the song. He did not even really believe that, that Jesus was the Messiah, but still he went to work, and, he, and the finished product pleased both poet and priest. The song was performed three weeks later at a midnight mass on on Christmas Eve. Now, initially, it was wholeheartedly received and accepted by the church in France, and it began to spread to all the other churches. But when it was discovered that the authors were not members of the church, uh, and one uh, was a Jew, and not even a believer in the Messiah, it was denounced and deemed unfit for church use. Oh, but the common people... The common people loved the song. And the common people out on the streets, they continued to sing the Cantique de Noel, O Holy Night, until it was brought to a new audience in a new world. John S. Wright heard the song, and he knew that this song needed to be heard. He saw something else in this song. As it came to the third verse, The words say this, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. 
and in his name all oppression shall cease. You see, John S. Wright, in 1860, was an abolitionist. He believed that slavery was a sin. And he believed that slavery was going to drag our country down with it if we did not solve this issue of slavery. So when he heard that third verse of this beautiful Christmas carol, he published it in his abolitionist magazine. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall shall cease. In fact, most scholars believe to this day, and historians believe that we would not even know the words to that song if it was not picked up by the abolitionist movement in this country to help drive away this massive problem that we had, this cancer that would potentially kill our country, this issue of slavery. When I thought of that, and I thought about the bravery that it took for a John S. Wright to take those words, to publish those words, and to allow those words to seep into the hearts of the American people, I thought to myself, we must not be afraid to continue to obey God. You see, John S. Wright believed that that's what God had called him to do. And he followed confidently and boldly He set his fears aside. And there are times when we just have to do that, right? There are times when we just have to set our fear aside. And that's what Joseph had to do. He had to set his fear aside. His fear of the future. His fear of being cast out. His fear that his friends would all forsake him. His fear of being perhaps maybe destitute because his business would fail. He had to set all of that aside. Joseph teaches us so much, even though he doesn't speak a word. He says so much with his life. Joseph also shows us that obedience has personal, immediate, and a lifetime of consequences. It's personal. Uh, I mean, did you hear me read that there would be no honeymoon? (laughs) Um. The story says that he did not have sexual relations with Mary until her son was born. And then he named the son Jesus. So there was some, there was some uh, uh, personal cost. But his obedience also had a lifetime of consequences. No sooner had Mary uh, announced to him uh, that um, she was pregnant and then um, you know, they had to go off to Bethlehem because the tyrant had, had called for a census. And then later, perhaps maybe as much as, as two years later, they, they had to flee into Egypt. It's the flight to Egypt to avoid the massacre of all the, the boys two years and younger. Every choice we make, both small and large, carries with it a lifetime of consequences. And it did so for Joseph. And it did so for Mary. And yet they strode confidently into the plan and the will that God had for them. Here we are, what, 10 days, 11 days away from a brand new year. 
What, what choices lie before you as individuals? What choices lie before you as a church? i got to tell you that you stand on the precipice of a fantastic future, both as individuals but also as a church. It's a crucible moment for you as you move confidently into 2015. You know what's going to happen? You guys are going to hire a new pastor. It's probably not too far down the road. And I don't know about you, but as I drive into this Santan Valley, into Queen Creek, and I see all of the growth, and I think, you know what? There's probably not enough seats on a Sunday morning for everyone that Christ wants to touch and reach in this area. He wants to continue using you. He is not done with one community church. Not done with you yet. Absolutely not. Continue to to stride confidently into that future. Those choices that you make over these next few weeks, both as individuals, the choices that you'll make. Oh, some of them, you know, there'll be New Year's resolutions and they'll they'll pass and, you know, by January 15th or February 15th, you know, you'll cancel your gym membership and, you know. But some choices, some decisions that you make will carry a lifetime of consequences. And it did so for Joseph. When he woke up and he took Mary as his wife, it set the trajectory for the rest of his life. And then finally, Joseph reminds us of the influence of obedience. There's influence in obedience. The nurture of Joseph, the father figure in the home of Jesus, must have had a huge influence on the life of Jesus. Thirty years later, when when Jesus started preaching, what did he call God? He called him Father. He called him Abba. He called him the, the child's designation for a father. Daddy or, or Papa. In all of Jewish literature, no one had ever called God that before. Jesus was the first to refer to his Father in heaven, to, to refer to Almighty God, who the Jews couldn't even Write out his name. It was too holy, too precious. Jesus called him Father, Abba, Daddy, Papa. Why? I believe it was because of this remarkable, simple obedience that he saw in the life of his earthly father, his stepfather, Joseph. In the Louvre Museum in Paris, there's a painting called Joseph the Carpenter by Georges de la Tour. If you've never been to Paris and never been to Louvre, you should really go sometime. (laughs) And he had this incredible ability to paint light. In fact, there's some paintings in the Louvre that that draw crowds. You know, the Mona Lisa, uh, different, different works of the Renaissance. There's usually not a huge crowd That surrounds De La Tour's painting of Joseph the carpenter, but there should be. It's a picture in the carpenter shop. It's kind of small. You may not be able to see it real well. And and there's Joseph, older, sturdy. There's the boy Jesus, maybe 10 years old. 
He's watching. Watching his father work. He's holding a candle. And a candle is behind the hand of Jesus. It looks translucent. If if you could see it, the light seems to be going right through his hand. In fact, it's it's what De La Tour is famous for, is the way that he was able to paint light. And they're in the shadows. Illumined by the small candle that the boy Jesus is holding. He and his father are are working on something. There, there's two pieces of wood. And Joseph, as De La Tour has depicted him, is working on a cross. An executioner's cross. And our Lord Jesus who saw that remarkably simple obedience in Joseph, learned obedience himself. In fact, it was an obedience that took him all the way to his own cross. Don't be afraid of obedience. The angel said to Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Do not be afraid of obedience. Because as you walk into the future that God has for you, There will be life. There will be fulfillment. You will know that you have done what God has called you to do. Jesus, some of his last words on that cross, said it is finished. Oh, that each one of us could come to the end of our days and be able to say, it is finished. The work that you created me to do, oh God, It is finished as we stride confidently into the future that he has for us. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for one. Thank you for one community church. God, indeed, we thank you for the years of faithful service. The years of obedient service that Mark and Shannon and his family gave to this community. And now, oh God, you have a new plan for this church community. And I pray that they would embrace it. Just like Joseph embraced your plan and your will for his life, oh God. And as individuals, as as we sit here on the cusp of a brand new year, God, might we not be afraid, not because it's too difficult or confusing, or we don't have all the answers lined up. May we continue to put one foot in front of the other and follow you into the future that you have for us. God, we thank you for this Christmas season that that causes us to pause and reflect. May we do that over these next few days. May it not just be a time of hustle and bustle and and picking up packages and wrapping them and, and eating, but may it be a time when we can focus on you and the plan that you have for our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.